this thing on. If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. It's sound check. It's sound check. It's sound check. Check, check, check. I love it. Great. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soundcheck, the rock and roll alternative, blues, country, punk, whatever it is now, podcast here at Central Michigan Life. As always, I'm joined by the best co-host in the world. I'm sorry, that co-host is in here. You have to settle with me, Andrew Mullen. <laughs> yes. And, of course, the sexiest podcast producer in the world. Ben Ackley. <laughs> I don't know if that person's here either. No offense. <laughs> but yes. But I appreciate the, the warm compliments, Michael. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I am enjoying the positivity on this um, show thus far this season. But um, before we get into that and today's episode topic and why I kind of said there's so many genres under our umbrella, especially today, we got a lot of different types of music. But um, before we get into that, we got some housekeeping to handle. As always, we have some social media to plug. Um, our Twitter, more specifically, you can follow it at SCheckOfficial. You can follow Andrew and I on our personal Twitters. Mine is Michael C. Live. Mine is Andrew Mullen for. And Ben has his awesome Twitter handle too, if you want to plug that. Oh, that's at Beauty Boys with three Zs, and I don't really <laughs> use it. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, what else do we have? We had a good episode last week. Uh, we were talking about Silver Sun pickups. You should check that out. Um, yeah, season three or season five. five, right? We're on five. Oh my God. We've been doing this a long, long well, time. I've been doing it longer. I, you weren't even on the first season, Michael. So yeah. I feel like the real grandpa here. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we don't really have a lot to housekeep this time around, do we? Um, well, are, well, are we, are we playing the new theme at the top? Do you want to talk about that? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. We just, we just played it for Andrew. He, it was his first reaction to it. We got a new theme song. Um, I hope you found it extremely catchy. Ben and I recorded this. Um, well, Ben started recording this a few weeks ago and I, um, I helped him kind of wrap it up a few days ago. And, uh, Ben, you should talk about this. Cause I mean, you were the, the mastermind behind it for the most part. Okay. Um, well, I've been trying to, it's my goal to write original theme music for all of our shows here. We had an original theme music for Soundcheck that Michael and I had, had come up with together last year. Um, but I really wanted something with lyrics, especially for a show like Soundcheck with a lot of personality. Um, and I had been not really trying and failing, just sort of failing. Like I, I, I would never have an idea for a theme song for this show. And uh, I was camping this summer and it just popped in there like... The, there's one verse and one chorus and the chorus is just it's sound check um that's all yeah, you need. yeah i think it's it's simplistic but that is not to its detriment so i'm proud of it i think it's perfect it, now listeners if you want to sing along to the opening theme because you're just so excited to hear us three talk for an hour and a half to three hours i mean you were <laughs> I just i don't think we've ever gone three hours michael <laughs> yet <laughs> yet uh when bob dylan comes around maybe but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's your new, that's your new theme song. Hope you like it. Um, it's going to stick around with us for a while, I hope. Um, but yeah, I think we could just do, 
kind of talk more about today's episode topic because it's a pretty important one. I'd say so far, um, one of the most important episodes we've done on Soundcheck because pretty topical with election season coming up, um, pretty topical with you know, pretty much any thing you're reading on the news right now, as far as what's going on in the U.S., as far as civil rights movements, um, even when it comes to, you know, how we're dealing with coronavirus um, and everything on top of that, with, that we're all just, it's in, all in the back of our heads. Um, and we thought an episode kind of dedicated to that side of our lives right now, it would be pretty important. And of course, I'm talking about just a lot of political anthems slash social songs um, dealing with social and civil rights and things. Um, and just picking some ones that stand out to us that have stood out to us for, for a long time now. And um, the episode format is going to be a little different than what you may have listened to when Andrew and Elio did protest songs. Yeah. yeah do you um, mind if I interject yeah, there, Michael? Yeah. Sure. So yes, for any, any potential long time sound check listeners may remember that we did a uh, an episode similar to this called Top 10 Protest Songs. And uh, we did one uh, with uh, when Elio, our good good friend of the show, Elio Stante, was the co-host. And as much as I still really enjoy that episode, going back to it, um, even though I think it was one of the brief times where uh, uh, where I was being, which is kind of funny to hear back, looking back on that. But um, I looking listening back to it, it wasn't really much of a, I feel like we mislabeled the episode. I, I think, you know, I feel like protest songs and songs with like political meanings aren't necessarily synonymous, um, you know, so I don't know, to me, uh, you know, kind of, I, I think political anthems is a better fit in what we, what we talk about that episode, you know, just kind of songs with strong political meanings. And uh, I think, you know, Michael, and if you, if you want to kind, of, kind of talk more about this, you kind of wanted to revisit this, this, this topic. I think largely due to, you know, the current political and social situations going on in this country and the world, honestly, at the moment. Is that, that my general understanding? Absolutely. And, it, and it's also just relevant to the CMU community that we are, us three are a part of, considering that we just had our first uh, Black Lives Matter um, sort of themed protest of the school year. Um, and yeah, it's it all of these songs that we're going to mention have some sort of you know, uh, relevancy to the social climate or, you know, any sort of political topic. Um, and, you know, with the artist's intent of going beyond um, just, you know, writing a song that entertains to writing a song that inspires and hopefully inspires change. Um, and yeah, th that being said, go ahead and listen to Andrew and Elio's first episode because it's still yeah. a great one. And a lot of great music was played on that episode. Um, Idea most most commonly some Rage Against the Machine. So if you yeah, rage we kind of avoided Rage Against the Machine because pretty much Elio and I we literally could not decide on a single Rage Against the Machine song. Because I mean they're they're probably one of if not perhaps the greatest political themed band you know ever you know in music. You know I mean that I think think you can make that strong argument at the very least in rock and metal, but. Um, but I, I think we still uh, kind of compiled a great list of songs here between me, Ben, and Michael. We have some new perspectives here since Ben and Michael are now on the show. So I'm really, really looking forward to this episode here. Um, I, I would also like to mention, I think this kind of goes without saying, but just, just, just to reiterate, uh, as you can probably tell, we will be talking about uh, not only songs, very political messages, but that will probably 
kind of give, give inference to some of our own political standings, some of our own political beliefs. And if you don't like us talking politics, well, all I'm going to say is too bad. We're going to in this episode. You know, let's just no, I, with yeah. the or, or skip this one. This may not be the app for you. If you want to, yeah, you know, through. There's an episode for everybody on Soundcheck. Yes, and uh, for those more politically inclined, those who are not so politically inclined, maybe uh, that that will influence how you think about this episode. That's probably a better way of putting it. For sure. Without further ado, I think we kind of addressed that. Unless, Ben, you want to add some more about what this episode is going to be about, how we're going to talk about this kind of stuff. All right. Yeah, just a little note on the structure of the episode. We've decided to go chronological with this. So we're starting back in the early 60s, um, going all the way up to present day, a song that was released this year. So that's that's just a note on kind of what what we're doing, the order we're going in. We're, we're not hitting a specific area of politics we're, we're sort of going you know there's environmental stuff there's race related stuff there's a uh, feminist stuff we're kind of going all over the spectrum with that as well um I, yeah i think the, the the big thing to point out about this episode is that it's definitely gonna be one of the heavier soundcheck episodes in recent memory probably especially with a lot of the song topics we're going to be talking about um it's going to get dark and there's no avoiding that so just a, a forewarning when it comes to that as well. Cool. All right, guys, I think we're ready for our first song here. Um, and this, this is a song I picked. We're going to start out with me because this is the oldest song we got. Um, over the summer, especially, um, I've been getting into a well-known artist named Nina Simone. And uh, the first song, first album I listened to her by was uh, Wild as the Wind, which I would recommend to anybody. I mean, Lilac Wine, um, Black is the Color of My True Love's Hair. I mean, all those songs are great. But the one I picked out specifically for this episode is Mississippi Goddamn. Um, Simone eventually proclaimed this was her first civil rights song. Uh, the version you can find on Spotify was recorded live in 1964, where she played at Carnegie Hall. Uh, the song was written in response to a couple different events during the civil rights movement. The first being the death of Mississippi civil rights activist Medgar Evers. He was the field secretary for the NAACP at the time, a World War II veteran, and worked to fight segregation uh, at the University of Mississippi. He was assassinated in front of his home in 1963, shot in the heart. Um, when his wife took him to the hospital, he was initially denied entry due to his race and died at the age of 37. Um, Nina Simone wasn't the only person to write songs about this, um, you know, about Evers' life and death. Uh, Bob Dylan, who we're going to bring up pretty soon, um, Ben will bring that up, uh, only a, he wrote only a pawn in their game about that assassination. Um, the second event that Simone kind of references in this song is the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Alabama, also in 1963. The explosion was set off by a local KKK chapter and killed four young black girls, um, Simone put this right on the table as soon as the song starts. She just goes right in saying, Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee is making me lose my rest. And everybody knows about Mississippi goddamn. So behind these booming vocals that you're going to hear on pretty much any Simone song, you have these bouncy instrumentals, which may kind of throw you the wrong way at first, but it's throwing you the, this illusion that the song is always moving forward in some way, or at least that's what it did to me. Um, 
everyone should read these lyrics and watch the two performances on YouTube as well. Um, in the 1965 performance, she's directly calling out Alabama governor George Wallace in that first refrain. Um, I think the best part of this song lyrically is probably the pre-choruses when it sounds like she's arguing with her backing band, um, desperately fighting for her voice to be heard. She starts with the lines, oh, but this country is full of lies. You're all going to die and die like flies. I don't trust you anymore. You keep on saying go slow. And then this back and forth starts. Uh, she says, but that's just the trouble. Backing band goes, go do it slow. Desegregation, do it slow. Mass participation, do it slow. Reunification, do it slow. She does this for a couple more times. And then she goes, why don't you see it? Why don't you feel it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this type of dialogue still applies when people talked about conducting protests nowadays. How far should it go? Simone argues doing things slow just brings about more struggle. Um, people often argue about the um, you know, radicalization of protest, peaceful protest, how far should it go? That's what I think it can apply to in modern day. Um, it's undisputed that this song left behind a legacy. Um, fun fact, it's even registered in the National Library of Congress. To me, this song is one of those diamonds when you're talking about music, about civil rights. Um, and that's pretty much all I had to say about it. If you want a jumping off point for Nina Simone, my personal favorite is Wild is the Wind. Um, but listen to this live performance. I know, Ben, you really like, um, you know, Simone sings the blues. Um, but yeah, th this, this song is, is, is huge. I mean, I can't, um, I can't say how much this song means to that, that era and especially, um, you know, the going ons nowadays. Um, so without me talking about it more, you guys should just hear it. Here's Mississippi Goddamn live at Carnegie Hall. Just about do. I've been there so I know. You keep on saying, go slow. But that's just the trouble. Washing the windows. Picking the cotton. You're just plain rotten. There's a little taste of it. Another thing about this episode is that we're not really going to have these arguments over musicality. It'll be more of a discussion, if there is any, on lyrical content and stuff like that. So before we move on to the next song, any quick things you guys want to add? Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're talking about important civil rights musical figures, you really can't get any more important than Nina Simone. Um, yeah, Mississippi Goddamn is classic think about a song like young gifted and black like nina simone it, you, there's really nothing to say the music just speaks for itself if you haven't gotten into nina simone yet you need to immediately um there's no excuse for you not to and you will like it um kind of with ben on that you know saying someone who doesn't really know nina simone's music obviously throughout my musical journey 
Viva Simone is the name It's Always There. She's really hadn't explored too much of it. And I kind of regret that now after hearing the song. I mean, this song is very powerful. I know we kind of wanted to focus on lyric, lyrics a bit, but I do think the musicality also plays into a role in the messaging, you know? Uh, like you had said earlier, that Michael, earlier, this is kind of based on, music, musically, this is kind of based on like a show tunes you know, style, you know, it, it kind of like, it's almost like, to me, it almost feels like a parody of that saying like, you know, mind, mind the show tunes in the sense that it takes, you know, a sound that's supposed to be lighthearted, but then presents these ideas of, you know, civil rights and alienation. In fact, there's one of my favorite lines, uh, comes from one of the verses, which is says, hound dogs on my trail, school children sitting in jail, black cat crossing path. I think every day is going to be my last showing kind of, you know, just how, horrible it was for for uh you know black people at the time and you know how um, to her based on that lyric to me it sounded like she felt like her luck was always running out because of that and it's a really heartbreaking thing to hear and with that there's kind of like that constant like beat that you heard piano beat that you heard in um in the song it almost it made me stress the listening to it and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in a great way it's just like wow, I got to get up and do something about this. And I think if you want a great protest song, not only, I mean, like, not only lyrically do you need to push people to go out and kind of motivate change, I think the music can also help with that as well. So, yeah, this, was a, this is a tremendous song. It's, it, it, it's been heralded as just an all-time great for a reason. And I think this is definitely a track worth uh, celebrating for pretty much ever. All right. So, if, if that's what we've got to say about Nina Simone, which you really can never say enough or say anything that hasn't been said already, um, we're going to move on to the same, or a few years later, 1963 is when our next song came out. This is a, a Canadian, uh, United States born, Canadian raised musician named Jackie Shane. Um, Jackie Shane is considered a pioneering transgender performer. She was out or as, as out as you could be in 1960, performing on stages in Canada, in Toronto. Um, she was often described in newspapers and press and on television as a drag performer. Um, and if she was asked about gender at all, about her gender, she would just sort of dodge the question. Um, this song is called Any Other Way. It's a, an old stack soul number that I think Jackie gives the definitive reading of. It's not really a protest song. It's not really about her struggles. But I think that Jackie Shane is a very important person to bring up in an episode like this because her existence alone is a protest to the way life was in the 1960s. Like now, it is really hard for transgender people. In the 1960s, before that, after that, it, it was impossible. So Jackie Shane led a very impressive life. I would encourage you to go online, read more about her life. Around 65, um, she was on Soul Train, I believe. And she had an offer to go on the Ed Sullivan show, the show that made the Beatles big in America right off the bat. And she refused because she would have been forced to uh, present as a male. Um, she retired from music around 1970 and declined an offer to be in Parliament Funkadelic with George Clinton. Um, there's a fantastic compilation of all of her music called Any Other Way. 
the song you're about to hear is the song Any Other Way from that compilation, her third single from 1963. You'll notice that she uses the word gay in this song, and it's used in the original song in its old meaning, but um, there are rumors, at least, I, I, I can't fully confirm this, but there are rumors that she kind of used that word on purpose. Um, because gay didn't mean what it means to us now in the public eye in 1963. So this is Any Other Way by Jackie Shane, a truly monumental, amazing person. Um, she's worth looking up. And I think this is a fabulous song. Say that you're my friend But I know why you're here She wants to know how I feel Tell her that I'm happy Tell her that I'm gay Tell her I wouldn't have it Any other way Before I ask y'all's opinion on that, um, I would be remiss to to not mention the fact that in that song, Jackie refers to herself by male pronouns. And on the backs of, she had one live album, uh, no studio LPs. On the back of that, in the liner notes, she's referred to by male pronouns, but mostly by her first name, sort of avoiding pronouns altogether. So it, even through the record label, through the songs that she recorded, Jackie was kind of forced to act as though she was someone that she wasn't. And that's a, an unfortunate part of this legacy, but it's, it's something that was bound to happen the time that, that she performed. I won't say anything on the music other than that. It sounds beautiful. I mean, those horns are just addictive and fascinating. And I, I could listen to a song like that at any mood I'm in at any time. Um, in regards to Jackie as a performer, I think it's just simply remarkable um, the length she, that she went to to present her true self, even in those minor ways, like declining to go on Ed Sullivan's show and stuff like that. Um, I think that just creates a beautiful um, story and, and blueprint. Is there a documentary about her yet? If there's not, um, there's from she was from Canada. She she had some minor chart success in Canada. So there's like a short Canadian broadcasting company documentary on her. Um, there's nothing bigger than that yet. I'm, I'm hoping there will be someday because that would be awesome. Okay. Yeah, if there's any, if there's any 
artists in that time period that could use a biopic. I think it's her for sure. Um, yeah. This, again, I don't have much to say on the music. I mean, I was trying to look up, um, you know, the meaning behind some of her lyrics. Um, I, I imagine she probably didn't talk much about about her gender identity, and unfortunately, because of uh, you know, kind of the stigma behind it at the time. You know, but yeah, I, I think I was just amazed by, by by her life, the fact that someone was at least somewhat willing to kind of present um, present themselves in you know as transgender during the '60s. I mean, that's I mean, it, you know, it, it's just insane to me. You know, that someone was willing to be out like that. You know, at the time when there was still so much stigma behind it. You know, and I think. Uh, she, she leaves behind a great legacy because of that, you know. Um, and it's almost a shame that she didn't feel like, and maybe then maybe you have some insight on this. I don't know, but like um, she, for, she was out of the public eye for a long time, and it was, it, you know, she almost didn't feel like she, it, she almost didn't seem comfortable coming out, you know, you know, back into the public eye until very shortly before her death, which is just uh, crazy to me, and. Um, I don't know if she did that on purpose or that's just kind of how it happened. Maybe she just kind of fell out of love with the music industry because of how she was being treated. Uh, I mean, do you have any insight on that, Ben? I mean, not a ton. I know that, that when she, um, she sort of left Toronto to go care for her mother in Los Angeles and that just sort of was the end of things like that's, that was just, you know, she was gone and no one could get in touch with her no one could get get in touch with her for a really long time. There was like a journalist who tried to, and then had one phone call with her and then her number got changed. So like she seemed to be just totally disillusioned with, with any sort of fame or, or uh, notoriety at all. She just kind of completely left the public eye and uh, really didn't talk to anyone until, yeah, I think uh, 2019 or 2018, there was a big interview with her and a few stories, but nothing up to that point, which is a, a shame because she had an immense talent. But, yeah. Keep moving on. You got another song. All right, yeah. Yeah. We, that's the interesting thing about this episode is we're, we're going chronological. So we stack up a few times. Um, so, uh, you know, just a disclaimer for me for this episode is I get really pumped up when talking about stuff I'm passionate about and when talking about injustice. So this is kind of like a double whammy for me. So I'm shaking all over like Johnny kid and the pirates, but um, it's, a, it's about to get real intense now because we're going to talk about a disgusting, horrible hate crime and Bob Dylan, which are two things that I, one thing that I absolutely despise injustice and, and one thing that I love. So We'll see what happens. I'm doing my best. Um, okay, so this next song is a live version from 1975 of The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll by Bob Dylan. He wrote it in 1963. It came out in early 1964 on his third album. Um, here's the story behind this almost entirely true song. Um, in early 1963, a 51-year-old black barmaid named Hattie Carroll, mother to either nine, 10 or 11 children, was killed by William Zantzinger, a six foot two white 24 year old from a wealthy tobacco family. Um, Zantzinger struck her with a cane because she wasn't bringing him 
his bourbon fast enough and she died of stroke complications within the next day. Um, it was, it was either a stroke or a brain hemorrhage. Um, he was sentenced on August 28th. He was originally brought in on a second degree murder. It was reduced to manslaughter. He was sentenced on August 28th of 1963. And, um, I will just let the song tell you about his sentence. catch that for abusing other restaurant and hotel workers earlier in the night and murdering a woman William Zantzinger was given a six-month sentence along with um, $625 fine the judge was kind enough to delay Zantzinger's sentence from August to September so that he could be available for the tobacco harvesting season of his sentence Zantzinger said quote I'll just miss a lot of snow. Um, he went on to be an atrocious property owner and landlord, committing lots of racist acts and felonies, um, and never really getting that much jail time for it. Um, it didn't seem like the song affected him that much, but in 2001, a Dylan biographer talked to Zantzinger, and he said um, <clears throat> of Bob Dylan, he's a no-account son of a bitch, I should have sued him and put him in jail. The song is a total lie. The only lies in the song are that William Zantzinger was brought in on second degree murder in reality, not first degree murder, as Bob says in one of the verses. And that Hattie Carroll had 11 children or nine, according to the Washington Post, not 10. Um, so the original acoustic version I think is powerful. This version with the Rolling Thunder review is explosive and vitriolic, especially for something being recorded over 10 years after the original incident. Um, but this is just as relevant as, as it was when it came out, which I hate to say, but um, stuff like this still happens. We're, we live with a broken justice system. Um, that's my opinion. Um, but I think that this song is is a really great example of a protest song. What do y'all think? When I started going through Bob Dylan, when you started recommending his albums to me and laying out that 
very helpful chart. I got to the times they are a change in and right away, um, even though it's on the B side, I chalk this up as probably my favorite song on there. Just the energy and what he's trying to convey is perfectly executed. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But then the lyrical content as well, after doing your research into it, it's brought to the forefront in such a creative way. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's really a perfect song. And, you know, when I think, when I listen to something like this, I can't think about, um, you know, it's hard not to think about, uh, you know, cases like Breonna Taylor or, you know, the countless other examples. And a song like this is needed just as much now as it was back then. And hopefully, um, you know, the, the story changes. Um, hopefully it's not the guy has 10 children or whatever it was and, you know, lives a successful life. Hopefully he's locked up for the rest of his life. That's, that's my opinion. Sorry if that's blunt, but. I mean, I really don't have much else to add to this conversation, you know, other than the fact that I'm you know, really happy someone was, you know, who had a platform as large as Dylan during that time is able to kind of spread, was willing to sing about, you know, um, you know, white privilege and, you know, broken, ju you know, justice system, you know, we were talking about, especially when you're talking about, you know, black lives in that justice system, it, you know, police brutality, certainly one aspect of that, but then just, you know, un unfair, you know, um, you know, prison sentences, black people are often more likely to be sentenced to death than white people are. And, you know, just on and on and on it goes, you know, and how often black people are sentenced for crimes they didn't commit while white people get away with crimes they did. Um, and there's just a whole host of, you know, examples of both. And it's just kind of disgusting. And like they both said, like, like my co-host said, still happens today frequently and it, it, I, when will it end who knows hopefully soon we all like to think that but realistically i mean it's hard to say and it's why we need to constantly talk about this stuff bring it up and fight against it because it's the only way things are going to change and i know it's not a new revelation but i think this song kind of kind of you know uses a, a specific story to encapsulate the obvious and that's what i really like about this track also, I knew with Ben on this episode, it wasn't going to be a matter of if Bob Dylan was going to be on the episode. It was imagine of it was the reality of which Bob Dylan song would he pick, and uh, I think he picked a really good one. So, thank you, Ben. All right, thank you. Go on now on to we're, we're we've bridged from the '60s to the '70s with a live performance. Now on to the '80s. Yes, we are um, certainly in the 80s now. It was the very start of the 80s, 1980, actually. Even though this artist is probably more of a 70s artist in particular. Um, the first pick that I'm going to talk about is Bob Marley's uh, Redemption Song. And like Ben, like talk about Jackie, uh, Jackie Shane, um, I kind of want to focus more on the artist, you know, than the particular song itself, even though Bob Marley had a tons of political songs. And that's kind of... Um, talk about his legacy, that's kind of the issue I want to get at you in a second. But for those who don't know, Redemption Song was released on his final album, was the final track in his final studio album, Uprising, which was released in 1980. And is often kind of cited as his last hurrah. It's very different than the rest of his discography. Um, you know, and I'm, I know that as someone who's not, and I, I should also come out here and say I'm not a Bob Marley expert. I do not know his discography inside and out. I just know you know, a handful of his tracks, you know, even, you know, 
you know, singles and some in his album tracks as well. So I want to be upfront with that. But even I know that this is a song very different than the rest because it's done entirely just him on, a, on an acoustic guitar. Where, if you're, where have you heard that with me before? And it doesn't really have a reggae beat to it. You know, it's just kind of him, you know, singing about essentially his life, his career, you know, kind of summing up like how he's written so many songs about racial injustice and protest songs calling for revolution and peace. And, uh, you know, I want to read one of the lines here. Um, you know, he, you know, you know, the first verse kind of talks about you know, you know, the history of slavery. And, you know, you know, you know, stealing people from their lands, stealing their cultures away. Um, you know, and then it kind of goes, um, kind of talks about, um, you know, how progress needs to be that we have made, but the progress we still need to make. Um, and again, it kind of sums up with his own. Um, it, you know, his own experiences. The chorus goes, will you help me sing these songs of freedom? Because all I ever have is redemption songs, redemption songs. Um, it, it, it's a really powerful song when you consider the fact that he only died, uh, he died only a year later after this album's released. Uh, I think at this point, he, he already learned about that he had cancer within his, I think one of his big toes and eventually that spread through his whole body and he, he passed off soon after. Um, I'd, I'd like, uh, if you don't mind, Ben, can you play a quick clip of the song? Like, I kind of want to explain why I want to talk about him as an artist more overall with this song. Old pirates, yes, they rob I Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I from the bottomless pit But my hand was made strong By the end of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds Have no fear for it um, I should also point out that uh, the first lines in verse two, emancipate yourselves from mental slavery, none but ourselves can free our mind, is based off a speech by uh, a Jamaican philosopher and orator, Marcus Garvey. Um, I think I think uh, people often often say that Bob got that from a, like a book of his. So I want to point that out as well. Um, so here's why I think I still on this song. So I, know I, I knew I really wanted to pick a track from Bob Marley. Because I feel his legacy for actually the perfect word for it has been whitewashed, quite literally, actually. Um, I, I want to point everyone to a terrific article you can find on the Village Voice called The White Album, How Bob Marley Posthumously Became a Household Name. Never see that word right. Um, referring to Legend, which is Bob Marley's well, probably, it's probably in a million anthology, anthology records released about Bob Marley. But Legend... Um, 
is certainly the most well-known. It's probably one of the most successful greatest hits albums ever. One of the most successful albums ever, to be honest. And there is a reason why, because it was essentially, and again, you can find a more detailed version in this article, but to kind of sum it up, uh, it was initially marketed towards white people. You know, the Island Records, you know, kind of the record label like, initially broke uh, Bob Marley. You know, they wanted to, you know, hit, you know, after his death, they wanted to make sure his greatest hits albums sold, you know, a lot of copies. And uh, the, the guy who they put the, you know, the British, you know, side of Island Records, uh, the guy they put in charge of that had a goal of selling a million copies. And his way of doing it was let's kind of rephrase because at the time, you know, he had white he had white fans, but he still had this kind of perception of, you know, black militant pothead. And he decided we're going to change that. So he got white focus groups in suburban Britain to specifically craft the greatest hits records of all his songs that would appeal to both white audiences and and, you know, his core, you know, fan base, while also not really uh, highlighting his, you know, calls for racist peace, calling, you know, so rate, you know, calling to end racism and call for peace. Uh, yeah, it was meant to not really offend anyone and to kind of remove that uh, perception to make white parents, uh, suburban kids more comfortable buying that buying his music i mean if you look at the legend track list it's really only you know songs like get up stand up and you know i shot the sheriff that really kind of focus on his true you know calls for you know for for uh you know racial justice so it's kind of it's kind of sad that that's that's kind of what happened to his legacy uh with that record and also point out the fact that he's often kind of viewed today as like oh he's the weak guy that's where a lot of college kids kind of you know you know, relate to him as. And that's also got its own problems. And I don't know if I have data really to back that up, but I do remember a few years ago when Snapchat got hot water for creating this, you know, you know how like Snapchat has those like, you know, face face filters where you can open your mouth and it pukes rainbows, whatever. Uh, for 420 a few years ago, they decided to create a filter where you can put Bob Marley's face on yourself, which created its own host of problems because a lot of white kids were doing it and it basically became digital blackface. That was really gross. But the fact that they decided to, you know, put Bob Marley out, you know, it's like, hey, that's Selfie 420 with Bob Marley's face and whatnot kind of shows where it kind of went south for him. Everyone's like, yeah, I mean, he's a pot-loving peace dude and it's not really, like, sure, he liked his weed, but he also did it for religious reasons, not for recreational use, I should point out as well. And it kind of... Over overrides all the calls for racial justice that he did throughout his entire career. And I don't think that's right at all. So Redemption Song almost has the sad connotation to it now, because while he sings, like, I hope everyone continues to sing my songs of freedom after I'm gone. I don't know if that ended up, well, certainly a lot of people did. A lot of people were singing his songs for different reasons, not really truly understanding what he was singing. And I think that's kind of a travesty. What do you guys think? I think you put that really well, Andrew. I mean, just thinking about my own personal experiences, you know, when I hear the name Bob Marley, of course, I'm thinking of this Rasta pot smoking chilled back guy where and I'm imagining a room full of college kids with like a, um, you know, one of those trippy tapestries listening to his music and, and kind of relaxing. And that is not his true identity. So it's it's just crazy. And it's one of the greatest musical travesties that his whole identity as a musician, as a lyricist has essentially been, you know, tainted. 
and I think that's that's something you know worth talking about now. And it's prob- and it's definitely not the case for a number of black musicians and and you know any musician in general of what did their legacy uphold? What what is what are we focusing on? What parts of their career are we focusing on? So yeah, uh, you brought up great points in that um, that whole conversation. Yeah, sure. I was I was going to say the same, Andrew. I don't make it. I don't want to make it sound like a we're all patting each other on the back, but that is very perceptive. And like, if, if, you know, you can think of, think of an artist like uh, James Brown is a really good example. James Brown is what the, I feel good guy, I guess, to most mm-hmm. white people. <laughs> um, but but in reality, say it loud and black and flat black and proud, you know? Right, exactly. He had a ton of civil rights anthems throughout his entire career. I mean, through, yeah, through the early years of his career, even. It's not like those weren't just as popular as his other songs. These people who have these really powerful messages that they want to get out, people of color just, it just gets squashed out of them by the greatest hits. The greatest hits, oh, Aretha Franklin? Oh, you said all this powerful stuff? No, you're the respect lady now, which is a very powerful song. But she said powerful stuff about race too. You don't hear that. That's not on her greatest hits. Mm-hmm. So that is an extremely perceptive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one more thing on that. You know, you often hear the phrase. Uh, you know, it's always the victors that you know you know, write you know write the history books and whatnot. And you know, not not necessarily not necessarily not saying that Bob Marley lost quote unquote when I say that. But you did kind of have like a similar thing there. The fact that he died and suddenly. Hey, it was rich white people of record labels that was able to shape his legacy afterwards, and you know it's it is pretty deplorable. So, you know, um, hopefully, and I know this podcast, you know, this this podcast we have, and what I think it's a very important one we're doing is that probably I don't know how many people this will reach to a point where it will change that perception, but hopefully we can help at least help with a little bit. You know, maybe, maybe when, when you next time you hear Bob Marley, know that he was at least more so than you know the Rastafarian. You know, we got, he had a lot more to his, his career. So, um, anything else you guys want to say about this track? I don't think so, other than what you just said. Listen to Bob Marley for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now I think we can move on to another track that I picked. Uh, we're only moving forward two years, but to a completely different part of the globe. We're going to Australia um, for the band Midnight Oil. We don't know, first of all, if you don't know Midnight Oil, change that um, i know here in america they're probably most well known for the song beds of burning which has its own huge political message to it that i won't get into now although i would highly encourage you all to uh to do some research after that but after you finish listening to this episode um the the, the song i'm talking about here short memory it was released on their album you know 10 9 6 7 8 it's pretty much a backwards countdown um it while they are an Australian band, they were not willing to shy away from singing about U.S. politics and global politics at the time. And I think Short Memory very much falls into the global politics and just pretty much humanitarianism, just basic human, you know, decency. Uh, Short Memory basically uh, talks, talks about how we have, well, short memories with, you know, global atrocities that have committed around the world, uh, not, not just by, you know, Australia or the U.S., but just, just look throughout history in whole, you know, 
look at European European colonialism or modern day U.S. imperialism. You can find a lot of examples of this stuff. I mean, the song basically casually lists off, um, you know, just atrocities that have committed over time. You know, the Quisador of Mexico, the Zulu in the Navajo, the Belgians in the Congo, plantations in Virginia, the Raj in British India, the deadline in South, South Africa, um, you know, the silence of Hiroshima, the story of El Salvador, destruction. I mean, that's all within the first verse, kind of listing off, you know, just these atrocities, you know, these these horrifying stories have committed throughout history, even modern day history. Um, and there, it, it, it's a tremendous song because for me, one of like, if I can get one of my most important issues to me when it comes to politics is the issue of war, our U.S. foreign policy. Um, how we've kind of misused that over um, pretty much, I mean, since we began, but especially since the end of World War II. Um, in fact, there's actually a famous live version of this. I don't know how famous it is, but it's a great live version nonetheless, where lead singer Peter Garrett, you know, starts the song off by saying, this one's for Henry Kissinger uh, for winning the Nobel Peace Prize by bombing the living daylights out of Cambodia, which is just a great line and just intro to kind of sum up what the song's about you know talking if you don't know who Henry Kissinger is well uh by all means do some research on that man I honestly consider him one of if not the most evil man in American history he's responsible for god knows how many you know innocent deaths throughout throughout his course in politics um he but referring to Cambodia, if you don't remember Cambodia was kind of yanked into the Vietnam War by, by him and Nixon uh you know, as an excuse, well, we need to go there. It's easier to bypass them through Vietnam. It was all pointless. And, you know, to go through there, we carpet bombed the crap out of that country. And there have been widely varying different estimates on how many civilians died in that war, upwards of like hundreds of thousands even. And that, that, that bombing led to the instability of Cambodia that led to the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot. You know anything about that regime? Well, it's a really ugly situation. And while we didn't directly put them in power, our instability was there. How many people know about that, that we had involved with that? I don't know. And that's the thing about short memory that really resonates with me, that it just taught, there are so many, even in recent, even right now, happening right now, there's so many issues going on with this country related to our imperialism overseas, we just don't talk about. Hell, Trump, in you know, in the lead up to his campaign, he went on like Fox and Friends, you know, some cable show, news show, and he said, you know, when referring to ISIS, with ISIS, we have to take out their families. We need to take out their families. He said, we, he wants to wreck torture, worse than waterboarding. This is a this is a presidential candidate openly calling for terrorism and war crimes on cable television. That is insanity. And while some people are either going, oh my God, what is happening? I feel like that kind of got lost in the news shuffle. I don't know how many people actually heard that or like how long it really stuck in people's memories. And granted, Trump is a walking, you know, you know, hate machine and he says everything he spews out is insanity. But that to me, just like, how is no one talking about that? You know, MSNBC famously went a year without um, talking about uh, Saudi Arabia, Saudi-led uh, coalition, you know, with this genocide in Yemen, with the, and and the U.S. and the U.S.'s involvement with that, yet didn't uh, yet found time to do about 400 or so um, segments about Stormy Daniels. It, it's that kind of stuff that makes me just 
feel like I'm screaming out the wall of this kind of stuff. And again, maybe that's why I really wanted to highlight the song. In fact, we don't talk about these atrocities. And thus, when we don't talk about them, when we're just so willing to forget them, we repeat them over and over and over again. And to me, it's just really frustrating. I hope to a lot of people. That's very frustrating. So I want to hear what you guys say about this after we play a clip from Short Memory. Short memory Plantation in Virginia The Raj in British India The deadline in South Africa Short memory The story of El Salvador The silence of Hiroshima Destruction of Cambodia Short memory Andrew, other than all the stuff you put on the table when you were doing, when you're debuting or introducing this song, it should also be said that this was a jam and probably the most pleasurable to listen to for me. If this is what Midnight Oil sounds like, yeah. uh, I, you can expect me getting into that very soon. Uh, that's all I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're a great, great political band. I think this is a really good example of the kind of stuff that they do and a, just a really poignant message. It's a great pick. Sure. I guess we can keep moving forward then because I got another pick for y'all and this is going to be a, another twofer for me. Um, but um, I chose this next song to represent some environmental uh, issues. And I'm talking about nothing but flowers from one of Ben and I's favorite groups, the Talking Heads. Um, in this song, David Byrne, um, one of my favorite lyricists, and I know Ben's as well, sets himself in a post-apocalyptic world without modern technology. Uh, in this world, he's torn between his appreciation for the beauty of nature and his dependency on commercialism. The shopping malls, 7-Elevens, Pizza Huts, they're all crumbled, covered with flowers. Um, this protagonist is reflecting on the good old days before Earth took back what it belongs. Um, even though it was written in 1988, I believe the song is sending some really powerful messages when it comes to climate change. Um, first, it sends a warning that no matter what happens amongst humans, the earth is feeling the impacts of our choices. Uh, for now, it works in our favor, but how much longer can we exploit resources before it turns on us? Uh, I think that's the main message of it. It also offers advice. If the earth can be saved from exploitation, I think the first step is having humans realize the beauty of nature. Um, and I think that's what David Byrne was trying to say when you have this protagonist saying like, oh, this used to be a shopping mall. This used to be a 7-Eleven, a Pizza Hut, etc." cetera. Um, you know, just the small appreciations of flowers, grass, wildlife. That is one of the first steps when you're empathizing with how climate change is affecting communities around the world. Um, I could have chosen some more grim songs. I mean, there's Blackened by Metallica, which is another great song about environmentalism. A newer one, Planet B, 
King Giz um, talks about the same themes, but this is the only song that I've come across where the earth is predicted just to turn back into its natural setting and not just like kind of completely destroyed in a lava explosion kind of thing. Um, and it's, you know, all the protagonist can think about is the possibility for development instead of appreciating uh, a healthy planet. And I think this is the only situation where it's actually dealing with what the true human emotions would be if we felt the full impact of climate change. Um, and even though this comes off of talk, arguably one of Talking Heads' weakest records, I think this song can stand toe-to-toe with any hit. Um, Johnny Marr was invited to play guitar on it, which is hum, like a thousand percent uh, better in my book. Um, I love Johnny Marr's guitar playing. So I would definitely give this some listen and some reflection. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. You helped my uh, understanding of that song a lot too. I, I think that this is a really important perspective because this is always the way I felt about global warming. Like if there's any solace in the fact that this horrible thing is happening and it seems really impossible to stop because, you know, we can do our best at our levels, but there's really a lot more that might not be done. I think that uh, something we can take solace in is the fact that when we're gone, the earth will probably be fine. It'll take a while, but you know, it'll, it'll get back to normal and, and go on without us much happier. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is a, a really great environmental message. I, I thought this track was really interesting. And first of all, I think it comes off of a very underrated talking heads record. I actually overall really enjoyed this album and the song in particular, I think, you know, mu- musically it's great, but, Talking about lyrics here, I think it provides a really interesting message, you know, talking about trying to balance, you know, our, you know, the way we can sustain ourselves as humans, especially in these modern times, while also trying to keep everything, you know, environmentally friendly, trying to, you know, protect it and, you know, appreciate nature. And it's an interesting take on things. I guess my only concern lyrically with this, that, you know, some, you know, someone might look at this and go, oh, you see, environmentalists, you don't, you shouldn't care about environmentalism because of all the bad things that'll happen afterwards. And, you know, I, I, well, I know that's certainly not what Dave Pern intended when writing the song. Of course not. I'm just afraid that someone else might interpret it as such, but, but I think that's kind of a, a nitpick ultimately, because again, David Byrne is just great at kind of writing these interesting, you know, perspectives. And, you know, I know we, we talked about that when we talked about, you know, um, his, his movie, um, for our soundtrack episode so um yeah d- this is this is definitely a great track also a really i think a really solid record so um, i i think it's a great pick michael thanks moving on i got you got one more from me um and a lot of the information about this next one we're gonna save because i know we got a sonic youth episode coming up this year or at least hopefully gonna try for it because it's one of my favorite bands 
Um, the next song is Cool Thing by Sonic Youth. Uh, but beyond the song, I kind of want to talk about Kim Gordon as not only a great musician, but an important figure for feminism in punk and hardcore music. Uh, cool Thing was inspired by a 1990 interview Kim did with LL Cool J. And if you don't know who that is, uh, he made Rock the Bells, just a pretty big figure when it comes to 90s hip hop. The interview goes well for a while. They have an interesting discussion about hip hop related to the early hardcore scene in New York until Kim asks him about the, the fans that view Cool J as a sex symbol. And he says this horrible, disgusting line, the guy has to have control over his women. And then Kim goes on to write this song, Cool Thing, as a hidden jab at not only Cool J, but misogyny as a whole. In the breakdown, which she's kind of voicing with Chuck D of Public Enemy, who we're going to hear some music from later, she says the famous phrase, I just want to know, what are you going to do for me? I mean, are you going to liberate us girls from white male corporate oppression? Um, aside from Cool Thing, though, Kim also wrote Flower, which appeared on Bad Moon Rising, uh, which came out in 85. Uh, Flower is said to have prefigured the Riot Girl movement of the 1990s and still stands out as a simple but really powerful message. Um, you listen to that song and the main lyrics is, support the power of the women, use the power of the man, use the word fuck. And, and you know, that kind of sends a message of like, you know, I want you guys to actually interpret that for yourself. We're gonna get into that more in the Sonic Youth episode, so I'm gonna save that. Uh, Kim came out with her memoir in 2015, appropriately named Girl in a Band, where she explores otherness when it comes to women in hardcore music, as well as just reflecting on her life as an artist, her time in Sonic Youth, et cetera. Um, it's on my reading list. It should be on yours too. And if you want to check out some more Sonic Youth, I would just suggest starting on Sister, uh, released in 1987. So you can do your own research for that upcoming Sonic Youth episode. But Kim Gordon, very important figure in punk and hardcore when it comes to feminism. And this song is an example of it. I just really like that delivery with that refrain, how she's kind of sarcastic with it. And then she leaves you with that line, then we, but we can still be friends, you know, and that kind of hits because, you know, I read um, in an article that was quoting a book, I got to find it and hopefully we can put it in here. But I think with that line, she's basically say, saying what women have been conditioned to say for so many years when it comes to misogyny is, oh, we can still be friends, treating it with kind of like a soft blow. But really what, 
women should be saying is fuck you. You know, you can't say something like that. Um, so I think this piece just goes to show how awesome Kim Gordon is as a musician and uh, a feminist figure. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I can add to that, um, first of all, cool thing. It's a great song. And, you know, I, you know, when I've, uh, when I've listened to it, I've always wondered kind of what the message was. I, I kind of knew of the origin and obviously knew there were some feminist perspectives on that because of obviously that refrain, but you know, kind of like you, there are ways you can kind of interpret some of these uh some of the lines from from this from the song and i was talking to my girlfriend the other day about this because she's also a huge sonic youth fan and uh, and i think the way she kind of interprets it and i think it's interesting it's like we can't look to celebrities to like kind of like we can't always look to celebrities and you know be you know artists and whatnot to always make reliable social change. You know when it when it when it comes to, whether it comes to race or or or, or sexism or whatnot. You, we can't you know expect we, we can't always trust that they'll have the the right opinions or or, or do the right things. You know as I think that inter the interview with LL Cool J kind of represents. I think that's kind of an interesting way of interpreting it too. But uh, you know obviously there's also again a lot of great you know lines about um, misogyny in, in in this track and kind of. Uh, just how bullshit it all is uh, for in layman's terms. So yeah, I think cool thing um, that, that apart from that refrain, I, that, that, that meaning might get lost on a lot of people you know, who listen to this because it is one of the most well-known tracks. Um, so hopefully that, that will not continue to be the case. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Chuck D. I really agree with everything you brought up, Michael, everything Andrew's brought up. I need to get into Sonic Youth, especially before that episode. Um, but on Cool Thing, Chuck D says, fear of a female planet. It just so happens that in 1990, the same uh, year that that album came out, um, Public Enemy's album, Fear of a Black Planet, came out. And this is a song from that. My next song is 911 is a joke, which is not fronted by Chuck D, but is fronted by Flavor Flav, the large clock wearing goofball that you might know as the foil to Chuck D. But he makes a lot of really serious points on this song. Um, 911 is a joke is, according to Flavor Flav, a song that is inspired by a real event in his childhood. Um, he was in middle school or high school, he was in a, a gang. And one of his friends got stabbed in a gang fight and they called 911, which was a relatively new system when Flavor Flav was a, a younger person. Um, and the ambulance was supposed to get there in like 10 minutes. That was supposed to be your tops. Uh, the ambulance got there in 30 minutes and his friend died on the way to the hospital after slipping into a coma before the ambulance had even arrived. Um, so it's this personal experience that really informs 911 as a joke. When you combine that with the traditional, to this day, underserving of Black communities by any uh, emergency services, um, you've got the issue and you've got this amazing song, Bomb, Bomb Squad produces. Um, it's been covered by Faith No More Live. Duran Duran covered it in 1995. Um, Flavor Flav does make a point in interviews to say that 911 is a joke isn't just for the black community. It's also about anyone who's been uh, underserved by emergency services. I had never heard a song before getting into Public Enemy that was anti-EMS. And it really is an interesting perspective, especially for people as privileged as us who would just think you call the ambulance and it shows up as soon as possible. 
Um, so I'm going to play a little bit of 911 as a joke. Hit me! So get them off truck and then bomb the corner They don't care cause they stay paid anyway They treat you like an ace that can't beat the tray I know you stumble with no use people If your life is on the line then you're dead today Late comers with the late comers stretching That's a body bag in disguise y'all I'll bet ya I call them body snatchers cause they come to fetch you With an autopsy ambulance just to dissect ya They are the kings cause they swing amputation Lose your arms, your legs and them is compilation I can prove it to you, watch the rotation A stretcher is just a body bag in disguise. What'd you guys think? I love that song. I love Public Enemy too. Uh, Andrew, you gotta you gotta put Public Enemy on your radar, especially when we're gonna hop into this next song because I see a lot of parallels. Um, but yeah, I'm glad we got to introduce some hip hop onto this show with that song and hopefully some more in the future um, because when it comes to modern race related issues, that's the genre you're looking to. Um, you know, I would have included songs, you know, by Kendrick Lamar or, you know, any number of artists, but uh, 911 is a joke. Uh, definitely a great pick, Ben. Uh, great song. Yeah, I'm, I'm also very happy that we're focusing more on the lyrics for, for this episode because music, music, musicality, I have really no position to kind of start talking about hip hop. As everyone knows, it's not really a genre I'm into. However, I know Michael has hinted at the idea of having an episode where, they, where he and Ben try to get me into hip hop, which quite frankly, I'm actually very excited for. I think that'd be a, a great episode because I actually really enjoyed this track, um, you know, especially talking about the lyrics. There's some just great lines in there. I think my favorite one, and I think really just tells the brutal honesty of the situation. And what was it? Nine one one is a joke and we don't want him. I call a cat. I call a cab because a cab will come quicker, which Everything I've ever heard about cab systems in the major cities that they're just terrible, which I feel like that really says something about, how, I mean, how they feel. You know, like I, you know, a lot of, I imagine a lot of people in black communities probably don't trust any real you know, public service or authority because they don't know how they, you know, view them. And I think that's a very fair critique. Um, you know, I think it just goes beyond just police officers, and I think this is a great example of that. So I'm very happy you picked this one, Ben. Uh, is it my turn then? I think so. All right. We're going to go with my last pick here. Um, probably my anthem of the summer for, I would argue, <laughs> obvious reasons. Uh, we, go to, we go all the way to 2017, uh, even though the artist has been around for quite a while. We're going to then Body Count, of course, famously fronted by uh, legendary rapper Ice-T. Um, they, they gained initial notoriety for the song, <laughs> well, perhaps to some infamy for their song Cop Killer off their debut record in 1992, I want to say. Um, obviously, uh, 
And uh, as a quick aside, it's anyone who still thinks that no, Cop Killer is not a song about, uh, you know, um, going out, you know, you know, you know, so saying that we should go out and shoot police officers. No, the song kind of encapsulated a lot of frustrations that especially members of the black community felt at the time about police brutality and nothing being done about it. Um, I think Ice-T once had a great line about that song where he said, I'm no more of a cop killer than David Bowie is an, is an astronaut. So just, just as an aside there. But um, every now and again, uh, Ice-T has kind of gone back to the body count well but in between, in between rap projects. Nowadays, it almost, it almost seems like he's focusing more on, on, his, on body counting as his solo rap work. And uh, quite frankly, that's culminated with some really great records. You know, I think over the years, Body Count's become a real force in the metal genre. Probably one of the best today, if you ask me. Particularly with uh, 2017 album's Bloodlust, where this song comes off of. It's a terrific uh, album with just a lot of very poignant and powerful messages, especially on songs like uh, No Lives Matter. I think that was the, one of the big singles from this record. As well as this one. Um, I absolutely again i was just everything that was happening after the george george murder of george Floyd, after uh after the shooting um a few weeks ago of you know um jacob blake you know and other and plenty of other instances as well you know and just seeing all these footages of protests just police coming in and just being protesters like responding to protests of police brutality with police brutality, it was just insane. And just seeing all that happening, I mean, this song was the perfect, one of the perfect tracks to kind of, you know, let out some fantastic some of my frustrations. Um, in the song here, Ice-T kind of talking about, you know, referring to like, you know, as you might imagine from the song, you know, people being profiled for something as simple as how they dress, i.e. the black hoodie, which is probably a reference to Trayvon Martin, if you don't remember, he was the guy who was murdered by George Zimmerman many years ago uh, for just carrying a can of iced tea and a bag of Skittles. And, you know, he was also wearing a black hoodie, which is probably, along with the color of his skin, one of the reasons why he was profiled. You know, often that's kind of, you know, two are associated with each other and, well, you know, what kind of happens. In fact, actually, the second verse, Ice-T kind of goes into the story. I, I wasn't able to find this was based on a, on a, on a true experience that he had. But I imagine as someone who grew up, you know, in black neighborhoods, this is probably something I iced tea. Um, iced tea definitely has stories probably related to this one where, you know, he was just hanging out with his friends. You know, they're getting drunk and whatnot. Um, the cops showed up and one of the guys, you know, ran. Wasn't sure why. He didn't have any weapon of some kind. Then they heard a shot. Turns out that the friend got shot, shot to death. And even while, even though he got shot, he was pretty much basically dead. He was not breathing. They were still handcuffing him whatever reason instead of calling an ambulance and you know it, you know it's stuff like that you hear so often in this country um and it, it's just infuriating i mean obviously anyone with any decent morality it should be infuriating them and i think this song again because of how the summer went it's why i, I really wanted to highlight this track on this episode so uh ben why don't you play us a clip of it This is how it happened. Out late night, just chilling with my clique. No one had a gun, everyone's legit. One of my boys is drunk, I'm talking toe back. He could barely talk off that cognac. Then the cops roll up, I don't know why he ran. Maybe traffic warrants, I still don't understand. That motherfucker's crazy. The homies laugh, he might have got a block. And then we heard shots. 
also in the end, if you caught it, there was a set, a callback to a classic uh, uh, hip hop track, "It's Silent for Police" by KRS-One, a track I also really like uh, for its messages about police brutality, um, comparing you know officers to slave-owning overseers, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a tremendous track, and I'm really interested in what you guys have to say about it. I love Ice T in front of a, a, a metal band because he just has the opportunity to put so much more fury behind anything that he's saying. And uh, I love how blunt he delivers all of these lyrics, just like, here's how it happened. This is what happened. Like, he, and he puts it all on the table for you. It's just such a powerful song. And, you know, some people might listen to Body Count and it may even have the impression that it's a gimmick band. I had that impression when I first heard it. It's like, oh, it's Ice-T having a metal band. But uh, yeah, definitely not the case. I no. I, and, and again, I mean, it used to be, like if you go back, listen to the very early Body Count records, yeah, the production wasn't very strong. Um, and, I don't, and you know, my mind just because of the time and how things were produced. I think that's probably more indicative. But again, it looks, Ice-T, I think, especially, you know, since Body Count returned, you know, when the, you know, in the new millennia, they just really crafted this really powerful, poignant band, you know, especially over these last two records of this. I, I think there's a lot of powerful messaging to, this, to, this, to those records. Yeah, I agree. That's, it's amazing how heavy you can get uh, with a, a metal band and a, a rap vocalist. Um, and just, yeah, the, I, I like pulling from current events, pulling from from that stuff to make a really great song and on that note i think we can move to present day um this song my final pick the final pick of our political anthems episode um is fight by wyatt waddell or waddle i don't know how to say it but um fight was put out this summer in 2020 it was written in a day uh in the aftermath of george floyd getting killed um, in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, Wyatt, who's a 23-year-old Chicago native, was watching the protests spreading across the country and sort of wanted to, in the style of something like uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, um, sort of give people a, a political anthem, um, you know, like the, the soul singers of the 60s and 70s did. And that's how Fight came about. Fight is a, a song about how we have to keep fighting if we want things to be right, if we want things to become better in America. That's um, on his Bandcamp page for this release, Wyatt said um, of Fight, I hope it can be an anthem for my people as they're fighting for a better America. That's really what the song's all about. It's kind of old fashioned in that sense. Um, but the lyrics are super moving talk a lot about how black people have been mistreated throughout America's entire history. And it goes on to this very day. Um, I think it's a super powerful song, especially to come out in the wake of George Floyd's death.
it's just the tail end of it. It's it's two and a half minutes long. You got to go seek it out. But uh, a call for for revolution and civil rights that sounds a lot like the civil rights anthems of the '60s civil rights movement. So yeah, I don't I don't really have much to add, add to that. Uh, honestly, I, I I'm I'm very happy that you picked a one as recent as this year. Um, and. I mean, yeah, I mean, I really like the callbacks to, again, a lot of the old, you know, sounds of soul and gospel music um, in, in this track. You know, I think the choir really add, added to the anthemic quality of this. It re- this really sounds like a tried and true protest song to it. And you know, I think this is a very, you know, and I'm hoping more songs like this can come, come out from, you know, bands in all genres really, you know, you know, kind of, you know, summing up the, the what the frustrations everyone should be having right now. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't have much to add. I think it's a great song. Yeah. Um, I have absolutely nothing to say about this song because I want the listeners to kind of reflect on it more than what I have to say. Anything you said about musicality, Andrew, stands true for me. Um, one thing I want to say is something we should have done at the beginning, and that's just to really quickly acknowledge that you're, if you're watching us right now, you can see we are three white guys. And if you're listening to us to it right now, we'll make that known that we have white privilege. And the reason why this ep- an episode like this is important and an episode like this, we can do an episode like this is because the one thing us three have to offer is this knowledge when it comes to music. We, we like music, we love it, and we know that music has the power to change things. And if you're going to take anything away from this episode, it should be these 10 songs that we brought to you right now is something you can use and something you can get motivated by, motivated by someone, something anyone can get motivated by. Um, so I just wanted to say that real quick before we close things out with the recommendations that um, this song is meant for the listeners. It's not really meant for us. Right. And to that point, Michael, um, I did want to make just a final statement. We definitely have privilege here. A lot of us, a lot of people listening to this have a privilege of maybe having a little extra money hanging around. As I mentioned, Fight is on Bandcamp. It's uh, just sort of a pay what you want um, entirely. You could download it for free if you wanted to, but you really shouldn't because all sales of that song go to uh, the Chicago Community Bond Fund, Black Lives Matter Chicago, and the Greater Chicago Food Depository. So if you have some extra money and you don't mind, go donate 15 bucks. You'll get a song for it uh, and donate to some really worthwhile causes if you've got the the privilege and the the money to do it with. So, yeah, yeah I, I guess I'll ask that real quick too. Um, I mean, yeah, we all have white privilege, and I think we all kind of knew that going in here, talking about songs, you know, to do with social change. And I think Michael kind of alluded it to alluded to it, but yeah, we don't have those experiences. A lot of the same experiences that we that we hear about, you know. Um, you know, on on songs like uh, Mississippi Goddamn, or in songs like Black Hoodie. You know, songs about your, your experiences of racism that we we do not none of us really come from that world, and you know, you know, and again, I hope everyone listening can you know kind of hopefully can recognize that, hopefully can realize that hey, I have if anyone who does, I, I who might have you know who are white or you know rich and you know some kinds, just I do have privilege that other people don't, and kind of hopefully recognize that maybe you know it's time to focus in on some of these songs focus in on some of those you know means of change and i think that's important to recognize and we we we, while we we, while we may not 
come from those experiences, I think it's important to kind of lift up the voices who do. So um, hopefully we're able to do that kind of with this episode. Um, I think it was, I'm very happy that we did. Um, So yeah, I think that's all, that's all else I wanted to say, say to that. Yeah, guys, I think this was a good one, but I think we can sort of move into our recommendations now. Um, I guess I'm first because I haven't talked to, given a song in a hot minute. So um, this one's just a really good song you guys should listen to. Um, I've become a pretty big fan of Joni Mitchell over the summer. Um, On my road trip, I listened to a bunch of her songs. I love her album, Blue. Um, And I just love who she was as a person as I read more about her and just how she was this this reckless figure and and also a a male-dominated world at the time uh, when it comes to folk singers of this era. Um, And I instantly fell in love with this song um, that got shown to me last year, actually. This was the first Joni Mitchell song I heard. Um, It's called Carrie. And, uh, you know, I relate to it a lot because it's kind of about um, going out and seeing the world and having to leave your, um, you know, your small town behind and uh, chase chase your dreams and chase what you need. So uh, this song's called Carrie. I couldn't sleep Oh, you know it sure is hard to leave here, Carrie But it's really not my home My fingernails are filthy I've got beach tar on my feet And I miss my clean white linen And my fancy French cologne Oh, Carrie, get out your Amazing, Michael. Hit it, Andrew. What's yours? All right. Um, also, just a side note, uh, I need to get into more. I need, really need to get to Joni Mitchell, but if you want another great you know, female folk singer from around that time, I think I told you before, go listen to Joanne Baez, you never have. Uh, legendary folk singer, one of the best voices ever in music. Just wanted to say that's a side note. Um, but um, on the completely other end of the spectrum, musically, um, we're gonna go to we're gonna go to some hardcore punk music, uh, particularly a band called The Casualties. Um, he's a little normally I like to try to focus on small artists with these recommendations. I think within the world of punk music, Casualties it would just be a little too big for me to recommend. But I think I really wanted to focus in on probably their most well-known song, "Unknown Soldier," on this episode because again, like I said earlier, war is an issue that's very important to me, and. Um, well, I think if you want to compare this to Short Memory, well, I think Short Memory kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of does, you know, kind of focuses in on, focuses in, sorry, on the, um, like the poignant, specific, you know, intelligent kind of response to, to that topic, bringing up very, just very well thought out points. Um, Unknown Soldier kind of focuses on the raw, brutal, raw emotions and brutal honesty and like kind of the, uh, the uh, repercussions of war, uh, particularly on this track. Uh, they're, they're, oh God, I'm going to look up the lyrics real quick, but it is just so 
well done in that aspect. Um, so, like, the final verse of the song reads off, Joey's off to die for another senseless war, no arms, no legs, his mother cries at home. Joe wears the flag, so proud to fight for us and for a government that doesn't give a fuck. I think if there's any song that just lays out the brutal honesty and how we push, how the United States pushes for war, how they bring uh, young people, you know, you know, especially ones who are not in well-off situations, they kind of coax them in there. And they're just kind of tossed aside like confetti. It, it, it's, it's always it's just this thinking about the song makes me angry. And just in just most visceral ways, it's, it, it's a, it, it, it still gives me chills to this day. So that's why I really wanted to highlight this track uh, if you want to play a little bit of Bruce Ben. Real quick, Andrew, I heard that song yesterday when I was in Encore. That's all I had to say. Wait, but you were on Encore Records yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I went home for a little bit and went to Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was awesome. I'm glad they are playing it in there. So, yeah. All right, uh, Ben, what's your pick? All right, keeping with the political theme, keeping with the theme of artists too big for the recommendation section. Uh, way too big at this point. Um, Neil Young. I love Neil Young. He's a very political person in weird ways sometimes. But um, this is a Neil Young song uh, from 2017 called Already Great. Something really interesting I thought about this political anthems episode is that Donald Trump was not mentioned specifically or in passing by any of these songs, really. Um, however, Already Great is obviously a rebuff to Donald Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again which sounds sort of flag wavy until you really get into it. And Neil Young is saying America's already great because we have the freedom to try and change things. Um, so that's what this song's about. It has some really cool clips from an anti-Trump protest that like they interwove the, the chanting with the music. I really like that a lot. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great song. I'll play you a little bit of that. You'll be able to hear that bridge. Um, Neil Young is awesome, and here is more awesomeness of Neil Young. I think um, 
I think that's everything for that us in this episode. Um, although Ben, would you like to? I think we, uh, I think we know what our next episode is going to be. Ben, if you want to kind of give a little shout out to that, we do. <laughs> oh, yeah, we 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 talked about doing a glam glam rock episode. Oh, of course, I didn't. Uh, yeah, so um, very near and dear to my heart is the music of the seventies in general. Um, a big part of that for me is glam rock. So T Rex, a portion of David Bowie's career the second Lou Reed solo album. Um, glam rock is really cool and very English. So not as popular here in the States. I, and we're going to try to, to give y'all a little education on that. I think I'm kind of taking the lead on it, which is a scary thing for me. Um, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I didn't even well, remember yeah. what was happening. So that's a good sign. Yeah. I have I know nothing about glam, so this will be very interesting. This will be a uh, a very research heavy one for me. Um, and yeah, like I said, hopefully we can have a guest. We'll figure that out. We got to get some guests on the show. Yeah, Do you know anything about that. glam? Tweet at us. <laughs> you know anything, if you know anything about Bob Marley, tweet at us because yes. we would love to do a Bob Marley episode with someone who is really educated on the material. All right. I was that I think we can uh, close. Hey, no one was talking. Someone had to keep going. Hey, what do we say at the end of episodes? All right, I think it's time to end it. And as we always say, good night, good night Detroit. Detroit. We live in a political world. Love don't have any place. We living in times where men commit crimes and crime don't have a face. We live in a political world.